All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 12, and we're in Mark chapter 3. Uh, we'll start in Mark chapter 3, so you should have two ribbons there, right? Ready to go. I'll turn as I kind of introduce as well. Um, we, uh, we've, we're going to actually f- finish up and pause our series, um, Written So That You Might Believe. Um, we, we were able to actually combine a couple of sections of Scripture in the last few weeks, so what was going to be four sermons ended up being two sermons, and, uh, and I think rightly so, it just worked really well that way, and we'll see that today. Um, and I'm excited of where we're heading. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a little snapshot of that before I kind of recap where we've been in the last couple of weeks. Um, we are heading up to Easter. Can you believe that? Like, like we, we were confronted with, it's time change time? Wait, there's three feet of snow on the ground right? Wait, wait, Easter is in four weeks? No, 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 no. We don't see the grass yet, right? We can't be Easter, but it is. It's coming. It's coming quick. Fortunately, this is one of those years where Easter doesn't land in March. We could be celebrating the resurrection today in a different year, okay? I just want you to make sure you know that. Um, so we are, are blessed to be able to have it pushed out a little bit. Uh, we're looking forward to, to what we can be doing together as a church and a church community uh, through our Love Does uh, programs and, and whatever we can do. If we can't rake the leaves at the city park, we might shovel the snow. Whatever it, whatever it is, we're going to love uh, our community during that week with the other churches in Mount Shasta, so be ready for that. Uh, I hope you're excited about that. Um, but I'm excited of where we're going. As we look to Easter, one of the things that's really resounded in me and kind of built in me over the last few months, especially as we've studied and gone into the text of, of Jesus speaking about who he is. What, remember one of the things that Jesus continually says to people, like, haven't you read this? Don't, don't you know, shouldn't you already know who I am? Like, like you, wait, you diligently seek over the scriptures, hoping you'll find life, but he says, you don't find me there? Uh, that's, there's something wrong here, right? And I was reminded about how, how Jesus constantly said, haven't you read this? Shouldn't you know this to people who should have known this? And, and what he was saying was, listen, all of Scripture before I'm in front of you, all of it's been written and you have it all so that you would know who I am. So as you and I go through the series written so you might believe, we're actually looking at the gospel accounts, which didn't, they didn't have that, right? When Jesus was alive, he was living the gospel accounts at that time. And so he was, he was I'm living it so they would believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing they would have life in his name. For you and I, it's written now, and we grab onto it. But what they had was also written and, and read and memorized like crazy so that they would uh, read and believe that the anointed one, the Messiah, was going to come, and that when they saw him, they would know him because they knew the Father. And he and the Father are one. They saw them and he, they would know, know him. And, and they would believe that he is the Messiah and that they would have life in his name. And, and so there's so much written in the Old Testament regarding God's Christ, the Messiah. So leading up to Easter, we're going to, I don't know what, the, what we're going to call it, probably haven't you read, right? But we're going to call it something about, you should know about Jesus because of what's been written. But it's going to be about prophecy. And, and when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, this is after his resurrection, this is kind of what culminated for me, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he's, he's talking with a couple of disciples, the people who, who have been with Jesus, and he's, he's hidden himself from them so they don't see who he is. And they're, they're wondering, what, what's going on? Why are you so sad? And they're like, well, don't you know what's happened? And what, they killed Jesus, and we're sad. And, and then eventually, he reveals himself, and he, and he goes through, he says, Here, here's Moses, here's the prophets, and here's all the writings. And he, he, he went through them with them so that they would be like, oh, I get it. I see that you're the Messiah and it was necessary that you live, suffer, die, and be raised from the dead. So we are going to take a trip down Moses for week, week one next week. We're going to look at the Psalms and then we're going to look at the prophets and how all of those books, and, and there's hundreds of prophecies, we're going to only take a few, and, and we're going to show how Jesus is who he said he was, and that he is God's Messiah for us. He is the one we find life in. So a couple of notes on that. One, it may be a great opportunity for you to bring a friend, right? I believe very strongly the church is for the church, right? When we meet here, we, the church gathers on Sunday morning. We aren't here to be a seeker-friendly place, although we should be friendly to seekers. Amen. It, we aren't, but we aren't like we aren't so 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 concerned with those who 
don't believe on Sunday morning because we are the church. We meet. We should be here who believe. If you don't believe, you'll have a chance to believe. Jesus is going to call you to belief and call you to his gospel, call you to himself, and you should believe in him and have life in his name. But, but it might be a good opportunity to, to call a friend and say, hey, we're, we're going to be looking through some prophecy, some evidence that pointed to Jesus way before Jesus was even on the scene. And looking at how, how could even someone fulfill these prophecies just by being born and, and, and living that life. And it's impossible if they weren't God. So it might be a good opportunity for someone who really is in that apologetics, I want more evidence, I want more facts. We're going to look at the facts of the Old Testament and say, look at how this points hundreds, if not thousands of years forward to Jesus, right? So we're going to look at that. Uh, and starting next week with Moses. And then it'll culminate on, on Easter morning with this is Christ. This is who he said he was. This is what he's done. And, and what, what, does, what does the fact that he's alive mean for us today? Whether we're believers or unbelievers, it should mean pretty much the same thing. So I'm excited about that. But I digress. Back to Matthew. Back to Mark. Back to written so that you might believe. We've, we've gone through and we've seen recently this, this deep compassion of the Lord Jesus. We've seen a deep, deep compassion of the Lord Jesus. We... Uh, we saw him work and say, I, I, I see you, I love you, I want to I heal you, I want you to know me. We also seen him, as he's been compassionate, challenge the religious elites. Right? He challenges the status quo, and, and he shows himself to be the actual one, the only one who can bring rest. That's our Jesus. He challenges religious elitism. He challenges the status quo. He proved to us, and he said that I am indeed Lord of the Sabbath. You thought God was the one who created the Sabbath? You're right, and I'm here, and I'm Lord of the Sabbath still. And I'm going to show compassion and mercy even on the Sabbath. And Christ urged us, we've seen in the last few weeks, to understand and to, to learn and to know what he meant when he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He said, you, you have it all wrong. You have it backwards, right? You think by doing the things you do, you're going to earn life, and really you're missing the point. I'm here to be merciful to you because you can't earn life. And once you find life in me, then your life will be a living sacrifice to me. And he invites all. We saw last week more, and we'll see today. He invites all who are broken, all who are burdened to come to him, if they're willing, so that they might have rest and have life. It's so important. You know, he, he mentioned that. I, I threw that in there. If you're willing. He invites you to come to him and have life and have rest if you're willing. He, he remember he asked uh, the, le, or the, the invalid, he said, uh, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And, he, and as, the, as the invalid did, he said, yeah, I, I, but I don't have a way to get well. And No, I'm, I'm here. I can make you well. And then the Pharisees challenged that and, and he, he pointed out, you're not even willing. You're not even willing to come to me to have life but he's willing to give you life if you're willing to come to him. And today we're going to see kind of a, an overarching ministry and focus of Christ. That's today's title is the uh, Christ's Focus and Ministry. Um, we're going to see somewhat of a summary of that ministry, and, and it's, it's a lot of what we covered. But really what's neat about this, and it's not ex exhaustive, you know, it's a three-point sermon like normal, but it's, it, it really, I think, sums up. If we can lo look at who Jesus is, and if you look at any area of your life and any, any time in your life and any circumstance going on in your life, you could say, well, what is Jesus trying to do right now in me? And I think these three things would help us identify what he's up to right now in us. So I think it's going to be helpful for us in that way. Um, they'll, they'll sum up his ministry, but be helpful. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into 1 Mark 3. That's, we'll read that first text, and then we'll go to Ma uh, Matthew chapter um, 12. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are here today to hear from you. God, whether we walked in the doors thinking that or having that on our agenda or, or even having an agenda at all when we walked through the front door, God, we, we are here today. Humble our hearts. Quiet our hearts. We're here to hear from you. God, I pray you would, you would make me decrease and make you increase. God, that the words that you want us all to hear would be the words that are said today. Help us to see you for who you really are, not for the, the God that maybe we have made you out to be, or the God we've put you in a box to be, but to see you for who you really are. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, to worship and exalt you, for you alone are worthy of praise and worship. You're worthy of our adoration. You're worthy of our time, our treasures, of our talents. You are worthy. You are the worthy one. So humble us. Open our hearts that we might see you that we might love you more dearly and know you more dearly. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Mark chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 7 and read through 19. You can follow along. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. A large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had, uh, who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter. And to James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would also betray him. Now let's go to Matthew 12. Keep your finger here. 12, 15. This will give us a full picture of the account of what has happened here. Beginning in verse 15, it says this, Jesus was aware of this, and he withdrew, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. This is the word of God. And today as we, we go through this, we're going to look at, look at the overarching theme of Christ's focus and his ministry uh, while on earth. And number one, we'll start with number one. His focus and his ministry was what? To follow the will of the Father. To follow the will of the Father. We see that in Mark, our Mark account here of, in chapter 3. Jesus departed, right? So he's, he's moving about, and he's moving about for different reasons. And then he, he departed, and he told, tells them where he went, and that he was healing them there. Uh, and it also tells him that the, uh, we see later that the, the demons that were cast out were saying, you're the Son of God. And he says, hey, don't tell. Don't tell. Like, don't make me known. Right? There's, there's something happening here. Later, uh, it, we see Mark 3, uh, th th he would strongly warn them, right? Don't tell. Don't make me known. I don't, want, I don't want them to be seen. I don't want to be seen for who I am. I don't want the, my, my enemies to come find me. And, and in fact, that's kind of why he went out. He's like, I'm going to leave. It's getting a little hostile here. I'm going I'm to head out. Now, one of the things that's very in interesting and important to think about, when you look at Jesus' life and you look at him avoiding different situations or telling somebody not to tell, um, he is not passing control over to him, them. He's not saying, listen, it's make or break it. If you tell somebody, I'm dead meat. Right? I mean, Jesus came to live because he was going to be dead meat. Right? He was going to die on a cross for you and for me. He, that's why he came. He came to die. But it was going to be in his time not ours. It was not going to be me or you or anybody else that decided when Jesus was going to be arrested or when he was going to die. That would not occur. There were several examples of this, but before we get there, I want us to look at this, this, this working in tandem with the Father, right? This is what it's about. The Father and Son are always working. We've learned that a few weeks ago. We'll see it again today. Uh, the account of Matthew 12, he says he was aware right, of this hostility. And, and what was he aware of? If you think about what we just read in verse 14 of Matthew 12, is because he was healing on the Sabbath, because he was identifying himself as God in the flesh, they wanted to what? They wanted to kill him. They were plotting how to kill him, and they were plotting with other people that were even their enemies how to work together so they could kill him. And Jesus was like, well, I, I'm aware of this. 
And what would interestingly happen through the divine sovereignty of God is that as he goes out and about, his followers would increase and some would get more bold. And so that when he went back to his enemies, they would be a little more hesitant. Like if he would have stayed there, they might have arrested him and killed him right then. But later on, you'll see this, this uh, crowd kind of swelling up and their fear now is in the crowd. Like, I don't know if we should arrest him right now. I'm not sure it's the right time. And it, it wasn't them who were in control, was it? It was God doing that. It was God. So he was aware. He was aware that they wanted to kill him. It's like, we're gonna, I'm going to go over here now. And, and he healed them, right, and warned them not to make him known. So that, it says so that. Here, what, what does that mean? Here's the reason. Don't make me known. It's not my time quite yet. Here, why? Because we need what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah to be fulfilled. Right? Isaiah's prophecy, God's, God's message through the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. And that was what? Here is my servant whom I have chosen. So the Lord, God the Father, looking down and saying, this is my Christ, this is Jesus, God in the flesh. This is the servant I've chosen. This is the one. This is the Messiah. My beloved in whom I delight. Not only was the Father aware of this in interacting with the Son, it says, I will put my spirit on him. So now you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working in tandem for the glory of God and for the purposes of God. And that purpose was that he would proclaim justice to the nations. What was the justice? That the wrath of God could be removed from you and placed on Jesus. That doesn't sound like justice. That sounds unfair to Jesus. But he loved us that much. That he would offer himself in our place where we deserved to justly die. That he would offer himself in our place. And and in doing that, he would take the wrath of God upon himself for your sin and for my sin. And that when we see the Son that's lifted up and we would believe the Son and trust in the Son, we would be forgiven and we would have life in His name. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because we were good enough, not because justice was carried out on us, but because justice was carried out on Jesus. What would He proclaim? What would the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what was their goal? To proclaim to the nations that that they could put their hope in Him, that, that He would be the justice that they all needed. That's what he was about. He was about his father's business. Remember, he talked about this in John 5. When a few weeks ago, we talked about this. They asked, well, why are you working on the Sabbath? And he said, listen, my father is working and I'm still working because me and the father, we're the same. We're working. We're working on the Sabbath. We're, we have a mission to accomplish. Right? Remember the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God, Right? Jesus is God. He's like, I'm on a mission because I'm God, and this will not be thwarted. I'm about my Father's business. We are here to accomplish something. And I'm still working. He is also working. And they wanted to kill him. So in, in response to this opposition that he was facing at that moment, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my own way. Um, I'm going I'm to make sure that the, the plan that we as the Godhead have will not be deterred. He would not be deterred from the mission. In fact, Jesus constantly said that it's, I'm doing this because the Father wills it. I'm doing this in honor of the Father. I'm doing this because I, I and the Father are one. He said, in fact, that his food, his nourishment in John chapter 4 was to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what nourished the Son, was to do the will of the Father and to finish the work that he had given to him. We see it also in, in the, this kind of this game he plays. Like, when am I going to show up? When am I not going to show up? We see it in John 7. Jesus returned to Galilee, and since he did not want to travel uh, into Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him, right? Oh, no, he's getting away. We've we got to make sure he's safe. He knows what he's doing. He's like, it's not quite my time. Right now, they would arrest me and kill me. It's not time for me to die yet. So I'm going to go to Galilee. The Jewish festival, festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, hey, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition, right? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So it's kind of like this little sass, like, oh, you're, you want public recognition? Let's go to the festival. Jesus told them, my time has not arrived, but your time is always at hand. You can read into that whatever you want. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. It's like wherever I show up, I tell them, you're not good enough. You're bad. You don't understand. You are a sinner, and I'm the Savior. So he says, go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not fully come. So they did. They left, and they went up. Uh, and the, the text will go on and says that Jesus actually did eventually go up there. And uh, he, stayed, uh, so he stayed in Galilee. But when he did get up there, it says, and this is just Jesus. This is, this is how you see and know that he's accomplishing his own mission. He was up there. Just like he said, they tried to seize him. 
They tried to seize him. But the scripture says this, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. What, what do you think that picture really adequately looked like? Like what was the accurate picture there? Jesus is in the midst of the, of the wolves, right? And in the midst of the lions, in the midst of being devoured. I mean, you, you know that Satan's like, yes, this is my opportunity. And every time, like every time a lion would jump at him, it would just bounce off. Every time someone would try to sink their teeth into him and grab him, it's like, I just, I, what is going, it's like, I have butterfingers. And Jesus just walks away and no one could lay hold of him. Those are the times you think, oh no, Jesus has had it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I've got this. I'm doing this in my time, my way, and they can't touch me. And, and, and that was, I want you to understand, that was so very true. I think there's, there's guilt sometimes replaced. Oh, the Jews killed Jesus. Oh, no, the Romans killed Jesus. The, the, those Greeks, you know. No. No one killed Jesus because he died offering himself for us whenever he was good and ready. He went to the cross. He, no one, it says no one kills the son. He offers himself freely to us. Jesus laid his life down when he was ready, when the mission was accomplished, when the work the Father sent him to do was complete. That's when he went to the cross. And that's when he allowed them to touch him. Remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane? I'm going off track here, but remember the scene? Right? Peter is there. And they're coming to arrest, and Judas is going to betray, and Judas greets him with a kiss and says, because the one I kiss, that's the one you want to grab. I kind of always wondered, like, why, don't, why didn't they know that? Like, they knew who Jesus was? Anyway, he's in the garden, and what does Peter do? pulls a sword out, right? Like, oh, no, no. And he's probably thinking, it's not his time yet. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, okay, I've got this. He throws the sword, not throws, he, he wields the sword, swings it at a man, and what? He cuts off his ear. Jesus is like, no, no, it's not, that. It's, it's not time for that. Because you know why it's not time for that? Takes the ear and puts it on. Because now it's, it's, my, it's my time. Now is my time. And what... What happened? They arrested him. They could touch him. They could grab him. They could subdue him. They could, they could take him into custody. Why? Because they were so smart? Because they were so strong? Because God the Father, through his Christ the Son, empowered by the Spirit of God, was about to accomplish his mission. And the Son was voluntarily laying down his life willingly for you and for me. He's all about his father's business. I love this testimony in 1 John chapter 4. What, what does this reveal? That he's, he's doing this mission, and, and he's accomplishing something for us. Here's what it reveals. He said, we have seen and we testify. So as we see this, what do we see and testify? That the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. So in his ministry, and his focus, it was to follow the will of the father. I think for you and I, how, how does that relate for you and I? In any circumstance of life, one, we know that whatever Jesus is doing is, is within the will of the Godhead. And he's out for us, not, not, not for our own agenda, not for our own timing, not for the way we think it should be done, but he is out for us. And he will accomplish his goal and his mission in us if we allow him to. If we yield our hearts and say, you know what, I want to be about the will of the Father too. I want to be led by the Son. I want to be empowered by the Spirit. I want to go where they tell me to go when they tell me to go. And I will, and I will just love being obedient to them. And whatever, whatever timing is theirs, I want it to be mine too. Number two, Christ's focus in his ministry was to show mercy and compassion. Christ's focus in his ministry was to show mercy and compassion. And listen, I, just let's start off with us. I think one of the go-to places that we go, as soon as, as, soon as the world starts like, like coming at you, right? It's like, I don't feel much mercy. I mean, we actually scream like mercy, like you're playing the game Uncle where you're breaking fingers, right? You're like, mercy, mercy, stop. Like, God, throw in the towel, I'm done, right? Stop. Well, at least you're acknowledging he's merciful, right? But, but we don't go there typically. We want to we get out of that burden. We want to get out and escape that hardship. We don't want to feel that way. Listen, God is merciful and compassionate. He, he sees you. We had a great Sunday school class this morning 
looking at John 9, and, and he, he healed a, a blind man. It was a really neat story about this. But we went back at the very end of the class. We went back because this awesome miracle happened. How did it start? Right, a blind guy is, is blind. It started in verse 1 of chapter 9. Jesus passing by saw him. That's, that's, why, that's how he's compassionate. Do you think Jesus doesn't see you? Jesus sees. Jesus knows. Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind. He knows exactly what's going on in your spirit. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your house or in your car or in your job or in your school. He knows exactly what's going on. He sees you. And the Savior came and is merciful and compassionate. And he wants you to come to him so you would have rest and have life. We think we have a struggle and automatically we kind of like, oh, I, I shouldn't have this struggle. I, I'm struggling, so I'm going to be I'm, it kind of pushing me away from God. No, man, when we, when we struggle, that should what? That should, that should make us run to Jesus because he's the merciful one. So we should be crying out, mercy, God, mercy. I need mercy. I need you. I need more of you to sustain all of me. Let's look at our text in, in Mark 3. We'll start there in the end of verse 8. So he shows mercy and compassion. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. They knew he was merciful. They knew he was compassionate. Now jump down to verse 10 of Mark 3. Since he had healed many, all, uh, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. We've seen the stories where, man, if I can just only just touch a part of his cloak or his robe, I will be healed. Like this great, great desperation. Like, and and I, you could say great faith. Like, I, I need, I, if I can't get near him, if I can't get close enough to touch him or talk to him, I just, let me just touch the tail end of him as he's passing by. They knew there was something different about this Savior. Now, many of them were healed and, and never came to repentant faith in Christ. They didn't get it. They just wanted to be over their disease. They wanted a little circus sideshow. Once they got it, they were done. But many who came, they came not just to get healed. They came because he was merciful and compassionate. He was a healer. And Jesus, his MO was often that he would meet a physical need so that he could really expose and meet the spiritual need that we have. It was interesting, I, I'm going to use it again, this illustration of the blind guy in John 9. It's, it's phenomenal. It, this man was really blind. Jesus, that's where he spits in the mud, right? And he puts the mud in his eyeballs, says, go wash, and he comes out, he can see. Did, did he heal him spiritually or physically? Physically, right? Spiritually, eventually. But he was physically blind, couldn't see, and now he's physically able to see, and, and he's like, I can see. And it was an illustration of the spiritual blindness of, of his neighbors, his friends, of, his, of, the, of the Pharisees, even, even um, what the disciples were going to interpret it as, that people were spiritually blind. Jesus, Jesus pointed out that, hey, listen, you all think, you all say you can see. All the rest of you, he actually was blind and can now see, and then you're saying, wait a minute, that was not from God, that's not real, that's not really him, it's somebody else. That, those were the excuses they were using. And what Jesus says, and even what the guy says, he's like, wait a minute, I'm, I can see now. I was the blind guy, and, and, but it's really you that can't see? You should see this more clearly than anybody. I was the blind one, and now I can see, and I'm talking to you. Hello. And, and they're like, oh, no, no, he's a sinner. You're a sinner. Get out of our face. That's, that's the Brandon's translation, paraphrase, of that passage. They didn't understand. Like There was something bigger here. It wasn't just about healing or healing on the Sabbath. It was about the fact that they were blind even though they could see. That they were blind. And Jesus is compassionate coming to say, listen, you're blind. He sees that you're blind. And you need to have sight spiritually. And that's where his compassion is. He wants to lead us into that compassion. So he often would heal physically so he could heal spiritually. So they could get it. They could understand. I loved, in, the, in that text even, there's a part where the, the, the religious leaders, they were divided. Like, wait a minute. He, he did this. Jesus did this. You guys are saying it's of the devil or it's, it's, he's a sinner because he's healing on the Sabbath. We don't know that that's true. And they were divided. They were, and even like you see that happen early on in John 3 where Nicodemus, right, a religious leader, comes to Jesus and wants to, be, wants to know more and becomes a follower of Christ. Like they were divided. There were some of these Pharisees, these religious elites, who actually realized, like, hey, I can see everything, but I'm totally blind. He's, he's the Messiah. How, how could we not know he's the Messiah? So he, he would heal physically so he could heal 
spiritually. Again, showing mercy and compassion in our Matthew text. Let's go to that text, uh, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses uh, 19 and 20. But he, so he, he came and he said, this is to be fulfilled, what the prophet said. And what did he say? He went on to say in verse 19, he, my, my chosen one, whom I delight, who the Spirit's on, who's going to proclaim justice to the nation, he, he will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. You know, stop there for a minute. Jesus, he wasn't there to, to shove in. He wasn't there to, to scream at the top of his lungs in front of everybody. Like He was there to show compassion and mercy and be humble and be meek. Ecclesiastes tells us this, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of rulers over fools. I mean, I think about that as a parent. How many times I've failed, like you, you get mad and you, you want to start yelling, like, oh, that really gets your point across. You know what point that gets across? That I'm a jack wagon. That's the point. You know what gets, you know what gets a, a point across well to my children? Is gentleness, humility, right? Conversation with a tone that is, is endearing and loving towards them. This is who Jesus was. He came in that meekness, gentle and lowly, right? Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much good. So true. Our sinful words, our sinful tone. But he, he would not shout or argue. Um, no one would hear his voice in the streets. And then it says, he, the way he came, his character, this is his character of meekness and compassion. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. What does this mean? Well, in that day, you had a reed that you would use, and it was, it was worthwhile until it became bruised, right? Because when it became bruised, it wasn't effective anymore. It started bending and not working and not holding the weight or doing the job it needed. So what happened to it? it got tossed. A smoldering wick, right? It's the last part of the candle. It's, it's going to go out. The, the, the wax is trying to take it over. It's, just, it's really useless, and it's more annoying than anything else. So what do we do? Blow it out, right? We give it or pull a new wick, Right? They, they got rid of it. So he's speaking of not breaking this bruised reed and not putting out a smoldering wick. What he's saying is, is that unlike the, the way the rest of the world would treat you, or the rest of the world would treat me, or despite the way the rest of the world would look at you and look at me, Jesus does not throw away or discard what others typically would. Jesus doesn't consider a smoldering wick trash. He doesn't consider a broken read trash. Listen, he is speaking. His heart, his compassion, his meekness is speaking of the broken. He's speaking of the downtrodden, of the helpless, of the burden, of those who are suffering. That's who he's speaking to. He's like, this is, this is the, the bruised reed. This is the smoldering wick. This is the hurting nature of, of what sin has caused in the world. And the nature of sinful man is to destroy and to discard, but the nature of the Lord Jesus is to heal and restore. To heal and restore. Why? Because he's compassionate and he's merciful. Matthew 14 says, He went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed them. Don't, you ever feel that too? Like, is that you feel sorry for somebody? Like, even if they've caused it themselves, like, like, it's raining, and there's a homeless person with no coat. Like, you just feel sorry. I mean, Jesus looks at you like that. Looks at me like that. He says, I'm, I'm sorry. There, sin is, look what sin has done. Look at the brokenness. But what he doesn't do is, is discard you like trash. He doesn't snuff you out like a smoldering wick. He says, I'm here to restore and heal. Matthew 9 says, he saw the crowds. So let's, let's build on this compassion of Jesus. He saw the crowds and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected. So there's the hurt, the sorrow, the circumstances. They were hurt and dejected and they were like sheep without a shepherd. There's no one, no one to tend to them, to care for them, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally. All of these ways that Jesus says, I, I, I'm here, I'm the good shepherd. And, and th those who are my sheep hear my voice and will follow me. And I will, I will lead them where, like we saw this thing this morning, like into green pastures. I'll restore their soul. Like This is what Jesus does. We see it in Matthew 11. I'll read this again from last week too. Like, come to me. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. You're tired, you're worn out, you're dejected, you're suffering, you're downtrodden, you're burdened, you're helpless. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will receive you unto me. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Why can I learn from him? Because he is lowly and humble in heart. That's that's how Jesus is. He's merciful and compassionate towards you. Merciful and compassionate. And, And when you come to him, he says, you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What was the focus of and ministry of Jesus overarching everything else was his mercy and compassion. He was submissive to the will of the Father and would accomplish his mission to die for you and die for me. And he was merciful and compassionate as he did it. He went to you and said, I see you. I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. I know you're resisting. I know you're, I know you're pushing away from me. I know. I see it. But I love you. I'm here for you. I want you to come to me. I want you to find rest. Don't stop being weary. Stop trying on your own. Come to me and find rest for your souls. Well, how, do, how does that apply for you and me? I'm hoping that as I said that, you were already like thinking, oh, that's me. How does that apply? We're all weary. We're all hurt at some point or broken or downtrodden or we feel helpless. Maybe you feel isolated and alone. You are not. You are not. There is a Savior who sees you. And that Savior is calling you unto Himself not to burden you with more and put more on you and guilt trip you and shame you. You're already there. You already feel it. I already feel it. We already know that. And in the middle of our blindness, he sees us. He says, come to me. I'm going to spit in some mud and make you whole. Come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul. And if you're not finding rest for your soul, even if you, you say, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I love Jesus, but I'm, just not, I'm, I'm still feeling weary and not finding rest, then you're not really being honest with Jesus. You're not, and part of that, the honesty is this. I need, to, I need to leave behind whatever solutions I think are right for my distress because they're not working. You might say, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm distressed. Jesus, be merciful while you're doing whatever else that he doesn't want you to do to cover up the fact that you're distressed. You go to him. You humble yourself. Say, I, I, I'm done. Whatever was working or I thought was working is not working anymore. I need more of my Jesus. I need more Jesus and less of what I thought was the solution. That's that's what it means for you and I. In Jesus, his focus of ministry was mercy and compassion. And it's mercy and compassion for you and for me. But we've got to to realize that, even and we see, right? We have eyes, eyes. We have to realize we can't see. That we don't have it all together. That he's the one that can heal. He's the one that can can restore. He's the one that is merciful and compassionate and can give us rest and life. That's who Jesus is. Number three, finally. What do we see as Christ's focus and ministry? That he will have victory over sin and death. And that he alone can have victory over sin and death. If we go to our text in Mark chapter 3, if you'd go to verse 11 with me, we'll finish out the rest of this. Mark chapter 3, verse 11 through 19. I will just give a little disclaimer here as we get to it. There's a lot of names here, right? A lot of places and names. Um, I've learned something. You can go on to like BibleGateway.com and you can go to whatever and you can hit like, read this to me, please. And they do a pretty good job of pronouncing those names. So I like to do the phonics way and just write it out on my sheet sometimes. But the other way to do it, and I told you before, the way you read Bible names and places is speed and confidence. Because nobody else knows, <laughs> right? But there's one name there. I'm like, I don't get, what, what does this mean when he, when he called um, what was the Sons of Thunder, right? Um, and we'll get to that name. I'll, I'll read that. I had, I had to listen to it today just to make sure. So beginning in verse 11, we'll see his victory over sin and death. Whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he would strongly warn them, don't say anything. Don't make me known. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute. This is, to me, as I have grown as a Christian, as I've grown as a follower of Christ, as a, a person who studies the Bible and wants to know that Jesus is the right way, right? We want that. This right here is like so much proof, and it's all throughout the Scripture of the New Testament when you see this over and over again when Jesus deals with demons. Who are demons? 
They're evil spirits, evil, and God, God is not evil, so who are, demons are the enemy of God, right? And God is, we would say, not the enemy of God. He's, he's himself. He, God's God, and he's the good guy. It's, it's good versus evil, right? Demons are all Satan's little minions that do their thing, probably fallen angels that are now evil spirits. When, when you're looking at Jesus proclaim over and over, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, I am the Father of one, no way to, to the Father except through me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like when, when he says, I am the resurrection of life, I am the bread of life, like all, all of those things that he says about himself, he's saying what? Hey, 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 I'm God, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to rescue you. And, and you're like, well, that's great, Brandon. He can say whatever he wants. I won't believe him. That's fine. You, you can believe whatever you want, I guess, right? But Jesus claims to be divine, claims to be God in the flesh. What's interesting to me is that his enemies say the exact same thing. Why? Because it's true. They can't, they can't help it. They know they're a defeated foe. They know that Christ is supreme. They know this is God in the flesh. They know it. And so Jesus is like, hey, shh, quiet, listen, be quiet. Don't, don't go make me known. That's his own timing thing. Eventually, they all make him known all the time. They know. They, you know one thing that we know? Even if they don't say anything, they obey everything he says. They obey everything he says. And, and that tells you, like, in his presence, by his power, they can't help but say, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Son of God. It's, it, so just a segue there. If, if you're struggling with, it, okay, yeah, anyone can come live and call themselves Jesus. I mean, we're Mount Shasta for crying out loud, right? We have that every other week. But he actually came, claimed he, claimed he was Jesus, showed he was Jesus, and then the evil, the bad guy said, he's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one of God. So if you need a little bit of extra support, there's lots of cases in Scripture where demons, the enemy of God, and God say the same thing about himself, that he's God. So God's enemy and God are saying the same thing. We're really the only ones that are resistant. The human heart, right? And, and that's all that God's enemies can really mess with. It's like, I'm going to blind these guys. And it says, the, the, the God of this world has blinded the hearts of those who are unbelieving. Right? Why, why would the God of this world blind the hearts? Blind means what? You cannot. You can't see. What do they not want them to see? Exactly what the demons see. Exactly what believing people see. Exactly what Jesus was there to show who he was. That I'm God in the flesh. Demons are like, oh, we can't let people see. we we got to cover their eyes to the truth that God is God in the flesh as Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Even the demons even say that. Amen. Yeah, you're right. They, they say, he's God. <clears throat> okay, so verse 13. He went up the mountain and he summoned those he wanted. So again, we're talking about his victory over sin and death and his authority. I think we see authority here. Um, he, he appointed 12, whom he also called apostles, to be with him, to send out. So he was going to be a sender. Jesus is in his authority. I'm going to send. We see it in the, in the uh, Great Commission in Matthew 28. What did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So all authority, wherever you want to come from, it's all been given to me. Therefore, because I'm the boss, go. I have the authority, right? And so he, he said, you have authority to uh, send him out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. And he appointed the 12. And, and I, I would just encourage you, sometimes we just skip over this because it's a bunch of names. Like, oh, it's, listen, if your name was in the book, you'd want someone to read it. Right? You made the book. But more than that, Jesus made sure these names were here. This is God's word, so I don't like to skip names anymore. He appointed the 12. Uh, to, uh, to Simon, he gave the name Peter. To James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So we're seeing some authority here, right? Victory of God is a powerful God. He's in charge here. We see Psalm 2. I, I love this too. This authority given and authority claimed. In Psalm 2, it says, I will declare the Lord's decree. He has said to me, you are my son. 
Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Now listen, if you were this time period hearing this, you're just Israel. You're thinking, I'm just Israel. Israel is about God. God's about Israel. And, and what, no, the Lord's Messiah was not just over Israel, right? He was a God to the Gentiles as well. And he said, I'll make the nations, all the nations, your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You'll break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, in response to that, says, so now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Really important, right? Jesus has the authority, and God, God has given it to him. Like, you, you are in charge. You are, go for it, right? Let's go to the Matthew account. Let's see how this authority, this victory is really played out. In Matthew chapter 12, we'll look at verse, uh, the end of verse 20, and then go into, uh, look at verse 21. So he just said, I'm not going to break the bruised reed. I'm not going to put, uh, put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. It's like, I've got marching orders that are going to be about victory. going to be about victory over sin and death. And it says in verse 21, the nations will put their hope in his name. This goes back to who, just the essence of who God is. He, he's the one that we put our hope in, our trust in. We, we put all, it's all there in Jesus. We should be all in with Jesus. He says, in fact, you're going to be able to do that because he's going to bring justice, right, to victory. How did he do that? How did he do that? Through the cross. That's how he did that. And, and through the cross is the reason, the only reason we can have hope in his name. Because he did it all for us. I love Psalm uh, 98, there's, there's hope in his victory. Uh, Psalm 98, 1 through 3. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him the victory. He, he's the winner. He did it. The Lord has made his victory known. He has received or revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love, right? This Hesed love, this mercy and love, this faithful love, this steadfast love for you. He's remembered that. And faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. There's a victory to be had. Jesus came to give justice for God to you, or to God for you. That you and I would, who should justly be punished because of our own sin, that he would come and take the wrath of God on, on our behalf. That, that he would lay that upon his shoulders. And that as we see the Messiah, as we now read about the Messiah and are convinced through the Scriptures and His Spirit, we see it, we read it, it's written, so what? That you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that you would have life in His name. There, see, there's a great victory here He has. And this victory is over the thing we fear the most. The end. It's death. The unknown. We, we don't quite know. But, but He has given us victory over that because He died and then He rose. And for you and I who come to him and have life in his name, because he died and rose, when we die, we will also rise with him. First Corinthians, Paul says this, because of what he's done, because of his victory or his death, death has now been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You talk about the overarching ministry of the Son, of Jesus. It was to be in tandem with the Father. The Father, Son, and Spirit were working the mission. The, the only mission that could save, the only mission that the justice of God could be carried out. He, they were working that mission. And as he was here, John 3 says, he did not come into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, Right? He's not here to say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. He already sees you. He sees how bad you are. You need to start seeing. I need to start seeing. He didn't come into the world to condemn you. He came into the world to give you life, to save the world through him. And that's what he's done. So in tandem with the Father, that's what he's doing. And why, how does he save the world through himself? How does he come and not, not in condemnation? Because he comes in mercy. Because he comes with compassion. He sees you and he sees me and he, he weeps over the condition of our heart, the condition that our sin has, has placed us in. He weeps and he comes to us and says, if, when you're weary, because you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're burdened, if you're helpless, if you're downtrodden, come to me and you will find rest. 
I'm here to give you life. Rest for your souls. Real rest. Just get over yourself and know that you're blind and you need to see. See clearly your sins. See clearly the hurdles and the obstacles that you've put in, your, in the place between you and God and come to the one that's merciful and compassionate and know when you do, he is the one who has ultimate victory. Satan might be just trying to tear you apart right now. Guess what? He loses. He loses. Scriptures say that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I tell Satan, get away. I'm, I walk into the light. I go to the word of God. I go into prayer. I go into fellowship with believers who are reminding me of that and reminding me, you know, we win. We're on God's team. We're on his side. He has all authority over demons. Demons bow before him, hailing him as the son of God. They have nothing. You put your own sin in the way. Like I'm, just, I, I, I'm so held. I'm so stuck. I'm, don't, lay that burden aside. Quit, quit burdening yourself. Quit, quit letting others burden you down. Lay that aside and run to Jesus and be free. But you've got to forget about the other burdens that are, you're adding on top of to, to get in the mix, to, to try to heal your original burden. Overcome that. Get away from that. Knowing that as I come to him, the compassionate, gracious, merciful one, he will give me life. Why can he give me life? Because he is victorious over death itself. That he accomplished that for you. And he accomplished that for me. That in my darkest hour, in my biggest need, Jesus wins. And, and, and what's the worst thing that could happen to me here? They kill my body and I go to heaven and see Jesus. Uh, months ago, maybe years ago, we, we talked briefly at some point about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and they were thrown in a fiery furnace. And the lesson learned there, I think this, this goes to this lesson now, the victory that God has over us. Whatever fire you're facing, whatever burden you're in right now, one, Jesus carried a tougher burden. Jesus went through a hotter fire for you. Uh, and two, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they peeked in and there were three men and they suddenly saw a fourth that looked like the son of the gods. Whatever we're going through, whatever burden you have, whatever fire you're feeling right now, Jesus is with you. He is with you. And through our faith in him, finally third, right, we will have the victory because he will give us the victory through faith in Christ. We trust in him. Our hope is firmly planted in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together and pray as we continue to prepare our hearts to respond now in the worship of God. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, we ask that you would be with us now as we, God, as we worship you. God, as we turn our hearts and the affection of our hearts over to you, as we lay aside the things that uh, ensnare and entangle us, Lord. That God, we would, we would confess those to you now and we would, God, we would repent of those things and we would turn to you as the merciful, compassionate God that you are. We love you. We thank you for the grace and the mercy and the compassion that you offer. We love that you're in charge and you have the, you have the victory and it's all because you are submissive to the plan and will of God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We love you. We offer you praise now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as we